Welcome to An Eye for Business. Exploring the entrepreneurial mindset of people who are blind or vision impaired. Brought to you in partnership between Blind Citizens Australia and Vision Australia. Hello, welcome to episode 5 of An Eye for Business. This program is very closely linked to the Entrepreneurial Mindset webinar series, which is part of the Eye to the Future project run by Blind Citizens Australia. This week in the program, we feature John Simpson. John has been managing information alternatives for quite some time now, in fact, close to 40 years. Information Alternatives is a business which is specifically set up to provide alternative format information for people who are blind or vision impaired or who have other print disabilities. John, thanks for being a part of the program. Why don't you start by telling us about your background and what led you to start up your company? Background, I need to go back quite a few years, Vaughan. Um, we started Information Alternatives in the mid-1980s and we did so based on the fact that we saw a need, and I'll talk more about that later, uh, and we saw the need because all of the three of us who were involved in the family partnership at that stage, so that's Christine, uh, Dale and myself, um, all had worked in the blindness sector and all had a fairly good understanding of not only what information services were being provided, but also uh, what the gaps were and what the articulated needs of the end users were. So we really started from that premise of understanding, and I, I maintain to today that this is the key, is understanding what the need was and understanding how we could address that need. Uh, it was a slow process. We started off small. Um, we undertook uh, a number of conference recording projects firstly and of course made the audio from those available uh, through direct distribution of cassette tapes in the early days or through providing the content to the RPH stations and so on and so forth um, and then grew the business, uh, if you like, expanded it from there. Well, let's take a step back. You mentioned that the three of you had all worked in the blindness sector, but what did it take for you to understand what the need was for your company in the first place? I guess the what we saw back then was that um, the major blindness agencies who were providing information services uh, included the RVIB in Victoria and Royal Blind Society in New South Wales. They were producing audio material largely for a leisure-oriented library, you know, the sort of book that you, you grab at bedtime and read. Um, but apart from formal educational material, there was no provision for uh, people to get access to the sort of material that you, you need, whether it be around a government report, whether it be that you're a member of a local government disability access committee and needing access to your minutes, uh, the sort of things that uh, uh, we see today, such as restaurant menus, business cards with Braille on them, all of those sorts of things. And I think all three of us, uh, through our various involvements, Dale was involved in the... Uh, 
audio production area with the RVIB. Um, Christine uh, had been working in the Radio for the Print Handicapped uh, sector through uh, Print Radio Tasmania, uh, and I had been working uh, uh, and in involved at a voluntary level across various organisations by the mid-1980s, just before I came to BCA. And uh, we all saw that there was this hole in the information provision area around um, generic information. And uh, it was really to address that gap and to start and harness the potential to get governments and corporate organisations, community organisations to start and uh, accept their responsibility for the provision of that material uh, that led us to say there is a market here, uh, there's a need that we can address and with our various skills, Dale in audio production, Christine in braille production, although she didn't get directly involved until some time later, and myself with a sort of rounded background in management and, and, and getting the business up and running. Uh, it was all of those three things that came together. Yeah, and I mean, notwithstanding the fact that this is a podcast about people starting their own businesses, I'm interested to explore this a little bit further because we're talking a considerable time back. Mm. Why do you think it is that the other organisations like the RVIB, the RBS in New South Wales, the Royal Blind Foundation in Queensland and others didn't see the market for this? Well, I think there had been a couple of attempts to get into this market, but they tried to approach it at too grandiose a level. They tried to set up a huge commercial operation. I know RBS were already starting to think this way. RVIB were starting to put their toe into the water. But they didn't understand that to be successful, they had a a fairly significant responsibility in actually educating their potential client base uh, about the need. And I think that's where we were able to start and, to, and create uh, an environment. And look, it was very small at first. Um, uh, I can't even recall who our first clients were, but there was a heavy emphasis, for example, on local governments that had... Um, uh, access advisory committees and, and, and blind vision impaired people being on those committees and the need for minutes. Yeah, they were the sorts of things that, uh, that came first. And because we were a small family business, we didn't have the sorts of overheads that the, you know, the financial boffins in those larger organisations started to put into the costing, that we were able to get a foothold and then grow the business largely on reputation from that point. How did you work out in those early stages what the cost should be and how did you, um, I guess, amortise that across your clients? Fairly simply, Vaughan, we were prepared to run a business that provided a reasonable per hour return for the operatives and they were largely Dale in the first place and then later on Christine. Um, we weren't looking to build a huge corporate uh, capital for the business. So we did it at a price uh, that, uh, that, that uh, was attractive and didn't, uh, I guess psychologically, didn't create in these organisations a panic about the costs of alternative format materials. 
Did you find that it was difficult to get traction with those third-party organisations in terms of uh, making them understand the importance and the necessity of providing information in alternate formats? We were very fortunate, Vaughan, that we never undertook a substantial and thereby costly marketing campaign. Uh, Our work uh, was recognised and the networks that uh, that existed in those areas, and this is where the local government stuff and, and places like aged care facilities where they wanted to provide their weekly newsletter to people, um, in, in, in audio in particular, of course, in those days, um, the word spread among those people. Um, and to this day, Vaughan, Information Alternatives has never spent significant money on marketing its services. Uh, we've done so purely on reputation and, and, and that uh, natural spread that comes through networking. The only person who relied on income for his daily existence was Dale, and, and that was not until after 1988 when he left the employment of the RVIB. Um, uh, and, and we went through a period there where we, uh, where we were sort of trying to get as much audio work as we possibly could. And of course, it was an era when audio was the um, product of choice. Uh, There was far less thought about providing material in Braille, which didn't worry us because Christine was in a reasonable paying job. Um, uh, So we worked uh, very much on the audio stuff and started to build some fairly significant accounts. I mean, we did some amazing work, Vaughan, such as when the um, Human Rights Commission and the uh, Australian Building Association, I think that's what it was called, uh, looked at uh, reviving the um, building codes and, the, and, and aligning them with the requirements of the Disability Discrimination Act, we produced literally hundreds of hours of audio tapes um, for uh, distribution during the consultation process and so forth. So we got some pretty significant jobs that kept us going, um, along with the smaller things that happened every every month or so. One of the ongoing products that we produced, for example, was a monthly newsletter for uh, Legacy, uh, the uh, service-associated organisation here in Victoria, and that led to us getting similar contracts with uh, the legacy organisations in other states. So we started to build up. We could never have um, sustained the business if the, all three of us needed the income uh, as our primary source of income. Uh, but we were able to keep it going at a level that gave Dale enough money to uh, uh, sustain his his own and his family's uh, needs. Mm. So what I'm hearing you say is that the, the business sort of picked up really because there was a need there. It was a well-articulated need. You'd clearly thought it out well. Were there things that you thought about um, that as a vision-impaired person, and all three of you are vision-impaired, is there anything you thought about that would make running that sort of business difficult, and how did you deal with that? Well, just before we come to that, Vaughan, one of the things that we did was we recognised the need to make the products that we distributed appealing to the eye. Now, that sounds counterintuitive, but we were the first organisation in, in Australia, whether commercial or not-for-profit, to effectively 
uh, provide print covers on Braille books that replicated the print covers on the uh, on the print versions. We did the same with packaging cassettes and so on and so forth. So psychologically, all of a sudden, there wasn't that huge difference between what the mainstream readers were getting and what the alternative format readers were getting in terms of the appearance, the identification of things and so on and so forth. To come more particularly to your question, I think that we all were able to interpret the need through our own personal and professional experience. So in fact, our situation as blind vision impaired people uh, actually helped us rather than hindered us in the process. Um, in the audio production area, I know that um, Dale certainly had problems from time to time with equipment because of course, this was an era of fast moving change. So our equipment uh, changed quite significantly over that, uh, uh, you know, say 15 years from mid eighties to the turn of the century. Um, Dale had real problems with accessing um, uh, display screens and particularly once we got to the early days of computer-based technology and so on and so forth. And that was a real struggle. But beyond that sort of thing, there weren't many aspects of the business that I would say where we were, uh, where we were deprived because uh, of being blind or vision impaired. It seems to me that from a commercial standpoint, or at least I should say from a client-centred standpoint, the fact that uh, all three of you are vision impaired and very clearly know and are able to articulate that need uh, for alternate formats and exactly how those formats should be delivered would be considered an advantage. Is that a fair statement? Yes, it is. And, and we made it our business to involve ourselves in the sector, in the broader area. I mean, for example, Christine served for many years at a senior level, executive level with the Australian Braille Authority. So she became a recognised expert in in the rules of Braille, particularly once Unified English Braille came in and those sorts of things. Dale was part of the early discussions and exploration of using digital technology to uh, uh, provide audio and and also uh, was was closely involved with early trials of uh, of daisy based uh, audio production here in australia so being part of if you like to put it into a broader context part of the industry and part of the industry discussion was very important uh, and 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 i must say that both dale and christine as as the two technical experts in the in the uh, business um, were very good at building their networks and, and being prepared to go to other people with, uh, with their questions, with their uh, um, challenges about how you might do something and so on today. And I mean, Dale still takes that uh, attitude into the work that he's doing with uh, Vision Australia Radio. But it was vitally important that, particularly when we got into the uh, bra work, um, that... Christine's abilities as a totally blind person who knew the Braille rules and knew formatting and so forth backwards was matched with someone who could actually uh, check that work against the, the printed uh, input that we were getting from people because uh, uh, proofreading, both in a literal sense in terms of the, the language and also in terms of a technical coding sense, was vitally important to the success uh, of the business. 
And I guess that's probably one area where um, having lots of people, uh, for example, in the way that uh, Vision Australia, as it's now called, but in those days the RVIB and the RBS would have done, um, could have been a significant advantage. Did you find that you had to buy in assistance in regard to being able to uh, check things against printed documents and other things like that? Not so much in terms of that sort of proofing and so forth because um, I was um, able to provide that support to Christine on a you know on an as needed basis it wasn't a, uh, we, we, we don't and never have with our braille we don't um, you know a hundred percent proof everything against a hard copy print copy um, we we make it clear to our clients that they need to provide us with a well formatted uh, um, word um, document as the starting point for for any braille production work we do. Now these days we will accept uh, um, you know accessible PDF and translate back if it's something that's of a literary nature. But particularly if something has um, a uh, a degree of um, numeric information, you know, maths, those sorts of things. For example. We recently undertook an assignment for an organisation that, uh, an academic organisation, and it was the academic uh, transcript for that for a student's uh, uh, degree qualification. Now, that document, although it was only four pages, uh, included code numbers, uh, gradings, um, and a whole lot of uh, numeric as well as uh, alphabetic. Uh, fields, uh, so it was important that uh, that we proof that against a, a hard copy print document. But a lot of the information, of course, uh, if it's if it's standard uh, print text, um, you know, of a literary nature, um, Christine can deal with any potential proofing errors because they simply don't make sense when you read them back in in grade two braille. So no, we've not had to. Um, rely on third-party uh, proofreaders or anything like that. We have occasionally subcontracted work um, uh, and we will always refer work on to another provider where it's specialist material. We won't touch foreign language material, uh, the Braille Maths Code, science, those sorts of things. We refer to uh, RVI uh, to Vision Australia or whichever organisation it might be, and to people with the particular skills in the in the area, uh, rather than put ourselves in a situation where our reputation might be damaged through less than a you know 100% product. What are some of the other issues that you've had to face running the company for such a long period of time, um, particularly as blind and vision impaired people? Oh, I think, firstly, to, to just finish off on that topic, uh, reputation is everything. And I think that goes for any small business that, well, goes for any business, of course, but any any small business that's trying to grow and get its place in the market, um, your most your most valuable asset is your, re is your reputation, regardless of whether you are uh, you're making and selling buttons or whether you're running a lolly shop or whether you're providing um, a braille as a service to uh, third parties, your reputation is, is the key to, uh, to your business. 
Um, issues that have uh, been a challenge to us in running the business, um, not so much because of our vision impairments, um, except that being known in the sector has sometimes had its challenges. Um, the blindness and disability sector is a highly political environment, as you, as you would uh, know and your listeners would know. Um, so we have, uh, you know, had times when we, uh, uh, when we've uh, been uh, ostracised by some of the larger organisations who thought we were trying to un undercut their market, uh, but amazingly, quite often in those situations, you look six months later and they've picked up the very developments that you've uh, pioneered. And uh, print covering for Braille documents is, is a prime example of that. None of the major agencies were, uh, uh, you know, dressing up their documents to look uh, attractive uh, before we started. And uh, we go back to an era, Vaughan, when uh, the RVIB and RBS combined their information access services into what was called the National uh, Library Service. And there was quite a hostility that we had to face, which I think was partly because we were... Um, audacious blind people trying to undercut them. Um, I remember attending a round table on information access conference one year and uh, it was in Melbourne and we decided that we'd uh, um, support the conference by having a, an exhibit there, a display. And uh, the then CEO of uh, that now long gone organisation instructed all the first staff that they weren't to have any contact with us uh, uh, during the conference uh, uh, because, uh, you know, we were the opposition and they might give away their valuable secrets. Well, I guarantee that each of the five uh, second-level management staff in that organisation came and spoke to us, um, and I think they learnt from us rather than the other way around. Mm -hmm. you, you've seen a lot of change over the last 40 years or so since you've been running uh, Information Alternatives. What are some of the key things that have made it easier for you to run your business, do you think? Oh, I think the technology developments are probably the major things, Vaughan. Um, we always operated in the, in the computer era, particularly in relation to Braille. Uh, but if I can just focus on audio for a minute, of course, we started off um, producing uh, cassette-based material, mastering on reel-to-reel -reel tapes, um, and, and if we had a job that required, um, as we used to do work for Blind Citizens Australia with the Sound About um, magazine and things like that, um, having to duplicate, uh, you know, literally dozens of copies of things and the time that went into that end processing uh, part of the operation was, was way out of scale with what... Um, uh, what would be commercially acceptable because we used uh, duplicating machines where we might do 12 copies at a time, but you had to then check each and every one of them to make sure that they uh, had come out and those sorts of things. So the whole processing has, uh, has changed. If you think of Braille, we now deal, of course, with uh, electronic Braille um, and the use of electronic Braille displays both in terms of Christine's production of Braille. So 
in the early stages, um, she was totally reliant on speech output to, to interpret the, the Braille translation coding and so on and so forth. Nowadays, the Braille is underhand with a, uh, a Braille display that sits in front of the keyboard on her desk and has been for some, some years. So those sorts of things on a production side, but of course also on the distribution side, uh, we distribute far less copies of hard copy paper-based Braille now uh, rather than uh, electronic braille that people can can read on their note takers or braille displays in you know the very many and varied uh, uh, contexts that they're available so technology has been the biggest thing um, the transition from in, in terms of audio production the translation transition from audio to uh, uh, digital in fact uh, we were the first um, uh, people to use digital uh, audio in in terms of uh, of audio production and in fact uh, at one stage um, we had some quite heated discussions with people whose interpretation of what was digital was so uh, narrow that they didn't understand that uh, in fact by mastering the content to a DAT machine we were creating a digital master in a form that could then be uh, translated and used in other contexts and didn't have the sort of um, noisiness and um, you know tape loss, those sorts of issues that uh, uh, they were still getting in their analogue processes. Um, we did a lot of work in, in those sorts of uh, developmental fields and, uh, and have continued to do so, although we do very little audio these days because, in fact, that's the other thing that's really changed is there's now very little call for um, studio-produced audio for information provision. I'm not, this, I'm not uh, talking about the tremendous need that still exists for things like leisure reading and the, the needs of the vast majority of blind people who, who are looking purely to read their novel or their uh, sports magazine or whatever it might be. But in terms of information material that was the centre of our business... There's virtually no um, no call these days for audio-based uh, provision of uh, of minutes or annual reports, all those sorts of things, because people do it using synthetic speech directly off their computer device. I was going to come to that because it seems to me that the technology um, changes have also presented significant risk to your business in terms of people having ready access to uh, electronic documents these days for things that you would once have produced in audio or braille. Is now the time, do you think, to be winding down the business or is there still enough to uh, to keep going? Well, now's the time to be winding down the business for, among other things, because um, both... Uh, well, Dale has moved away from the business because his involvement with Vision Australia Radio is, is totally consuming and there's just no uh, capacity for him to do anything except the occasional um, you know, conference recording material. And, of course, over the last few years with COVID, even that's dried up. Um, I think the last significant conference that, uh, that Dale was involved in doing audio production for was the one you were involved in, which was the BCA event in Hobart in 2019. Um, but the same thing's applying with, uh, with Braille, and you're absolutely right um, that, uh, that uh, the demand for hard copy um, end products 
um, has has uh, has diminished significantly, and in our selfish, you know, personal situation, Christine and mine, that's not an issue because, of course, we're quite ready at our age to uh, start and widen down the business. Um, we accept work uh, when we're asked to do it, if if it's appropriate for us to do it. Um, so, you know, looking at issues like what the content is and timeframes and so forth. Um, but we don't chase work at all now. I, I hate to be in the middle of my working life and trying to rely on this business now. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I, and, and I think, would it be fair to say that um, at no time would you have been able to rely on this business for your sole income? Uh, it certainly would be fair to say that is the third party, the non-productive member of the threesome. Um, I could never have relied on it um, because our overheads would have uh, simply risen to accommodate that and we'd have priced ourselves out of the market. I think, I think you have to have a mindset in this particular business area, Vaughan, um, that you're there to provide a service and if that service can offer you is a reasonable financial return, that's, that's, that's great. I would never call this a profit-making business. And, and one of the things that you have to guard against, and it's a lesson that the blindness agencies took some time to learn, is not overselling the product. We, in fact, uh, and, and it's happened in work that we've undertaken for both the NDIA and for the Disability Royal Commission through a, a, a third-party um, information provision organisation, um, we, we've had to talk organisations back on the quantities of material that they, that they produce, particularly in Braille, because there's this tendency to, to say, oh, well, we've got 50 branches across the country and we need to put five copies of each document into those, so that's 250 copies of this document that you need. And you know damn well that if they do that, that 185 of those copies will sit on the shelves, uh, not be used, and okay, that's their loss, but the loss to us as a business is that they start and resent that and therefore they don't come back for more Braille because they say that it's not uh, cost effective. So our business strategy is, has always been to quote on the production of the master and to quote on a per copy basis and to guarantee that we will hold the master for at least 12 months to provide them with additional copies on request at the same unit price. It's an interesting set of circumstances, isn't it? Because you're almost marketing yourself uh, as a service, but you're almost marketing <coughs> against that service when you consider the small numbers of people who actually read Braille, because your point is well taken that 250 copies of a document in Braille will probably not be used. And the message that comes from that is, oh, well, people don't want these Braille copies. In fact, that's not the case, is it? Because realistically, we know that um, a relatively small number of totally blind people read Braille, and it's an even smaller number of people with vision impairment who read Braille. Yes. But getting to those people and, and engaging with them so that they actually want your Braille copies is much more difficult, isn't it? And that's exactly, it comes back to my earlier point about reputation. We build our reputation on the fact that we will 
provide honesty to the people we've deal, we're dealing with. I've often um, told people who have come to us, look, I don't think that you want to be getting this document in Braille because you don't have a readership for it. Um, and I do that particularly uh, when we get requests, for example, for Braille menus for restaurants. Now, it's great to have a Braille menu in the restaurant when you go and sit down for dinner, but the economic realities for the restaurateur are simply that he wants to change his menu every three months. He might, unless unless he has an identified population of uh, of Braille reading users, which which you know happens from time to time, um, those Braille menus are going to sit there and and not be used. And if they do sit there and not be used, then they carry our production notice because everything we do has a print production notice on us as well as a Braille identification, then it, it, will, it will diminish our reputation. So it's far better to have the, the honest conversation at the start rather than be trying to defend yourself next time round. So what would your advice be to that restaurateur who wants to have Braille menus but recognises that there might only be uh, two blind people who visit in six months? I, 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 I would put it in the terms of a couple of questions. The first is... So do you have a regular clientele or a semi-regular clientele of people who you know are Braille or you, you know, think will be Braille users? And, you know, if it's in Davy Street, Hobart, and the Benisons um, happen to eat there on a regular occasion, the answer is probably yes. The second question I would put is, and how often are you going to change your menu because we can't readily amend the document in Braille format uh, to deal with those changes. We'll have to redo it and that'll be a, a new mastering cost. So we put the realities to them if they still want to go ahead or if if <coughs> it's one of the restaurant chains, um, you know, the uh, <coughs> you know, La Brochettes and, and those sorts of places, um, then we'll certainly talk to them about what they want and how they're going to distribute it and so on and so forth. But the, but the uh, uh, corner, um, you know, Italian restaurant or Indian restaurant or whatever it might be, um, we, we, we would encourage them to think fairly seriously before they went ahead. And there are other ways, of course, of providing this information. For those uh, listening who are not Braille readers, one of the solutions uh, might be, for example, to make sure that the menu on your website is an accessible PDF or indeed uh, an HTML um, yes. accessible HTML files so that people can use their mobile phones. The other thing, Vaughan, that is, that is going to completely change all of this is the exponential growth of using QR codes in yes. association with uh, smartphones. Because even if you don't have your menu on, on, online, um, more and more we expect that you will see situations where the menu in the restaurant has a QR code um, and and you put your mo mobile phone over it, and it opens an app or a you know a a, a, a location uh, where the menu is accessible. And of course, the alternative for those who don't have access to electronic media or electronic devices uh, while they're at restaurants or even at home is that uh, you can always get someone to read the menu or whatever it is that you're talking about, whether that's a form 
or what have you. And, you know, making sure that the organisation you're dealing with has a, an understanding of the access needs of, uh, of someone who's blind or vision impaired is, is equally important. But, you know, recognising the importance of Braille as a literacy tool for people who are blind or vision impaired, it's not necessarily the best thing in, in all circumstances. We, we chose the name Information Alternatives all those years ago quite deliberately because we saw it as our role to offer alternative ways of getting information and very much the advocacy messaging around those sorts of things like as you're just talking is is part of what we see as our as our mission so as i say it's a it's it's not a business that you would go in uh, simply to make a profit it's a business that you would go in to make a difference and that's a really important distinction it's a business you go in to make a difference. And, you know, so many times in this podcast series, we come across this, you know, people are there to to make a difference to other people who are either in the same boat as them. And typically, uh, in this case, that's been the case, or to make a difference in their local communities. What would you do differently if you were starting the business now with the knowledge that you know now? What would you do differently? I think if I was starting today with the knowledge I have today, I'd never get into direct production now. I would base the business around offering, and I use the word advisory, but consulting type support to organisations about how they should address their information access needs. Because I think the days, as I've said before, I think the days of <coughs> hard copy outputs, um, uh, are diminishing fast and I know that that leaves some people behind and I've got members of my own extended family who fit that, uh, that category. Um, but we can't continue to provide information on cassette purely because 3% of the target population still needs that, uh, that access. So I think that it would be more around... Uh, offering support, um, offering information, providing ways, as as other organisations and individuals do offer advice around inclusion, um, it, w- it would be advice around information access because fundamentally we see vision loss as an information disability and if you come down to it, um, excluding you know, comorbidities, other disabilities and so forth, Blindness comes down to, or the impacts of blindness and vision loss come down to lack of access to information, whether it be the flight of steps in the, in the middle of the city square or whether it be um, a piece of printed material. It's all information access. So consultancy is the way that we would go nowadays. And there's still certainly a place for information access consultancy. And, and, you know, we're not there yet in terms of being able to get access to the majority of information that's out there, are we? Despite all the changes and uh, improvements to technology with uh, access to Kindle books and iBooks, um, reasonable access to PDF files these days, a lot of people understanding the need for provision of documents in Word and Excel form, you know, we're really still not there. Timeliness is still the major challenge because all of those things uh, um, might be achievable, but too often there is a um, a delay in the process that makes them uh, 
uh, inappropriate. Um, uh, you know, and I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm thinking here of, you know, everything from the government um, inquiry or consultancy process where they put out the, uh, the documents and then think afterwards that, uh, or they're reminded by someone who asked for them afterwards that they should have got that into an alternative format. I'm thinking an alternative format might be simply a well-formatted word file that can be read uh, through a speech reader. But um, timeliness, I think, is still the biggest challenge that we face in terms of, and I use the term broadly, in terms of generic information. What advice would you give to somebody who was thinking of starting up a business, not necessarily in the accessible information um, sector, but just generally? Oh, I think there are about two or three steps, Vaughan, that you, that you need to go through. You, you, you firstly have to identify a specific need and you have to understand that need. Um, and then you have to make sure that you've got the knowledge and the resources to actually meet that need. So many people that I've seen try to start small businesses, uh, both within and beyond the disability sector, you know, are, are passionate advocates and they see a need but they don't understand what they can actually do in a sustainable ongoing way to address that need um, and this is where I think we were fortunate um, and on that basis I think the second point is start small to minimise your risks uh, and, 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 uh, and build from there out you know, when we started in the mid-1980s, all of our audio production was being done on uh, uh, domestic uh, audio equipment that we would have probably had in the house anyhow. And we built out from there. And, um, you know, at the height of uh, when we were doing audio production and, uh, and Dale had a, uh, a, a full uh, studio uh, at, uh, at our home in Glen Iris, uh, we had some pretty sophisticated uh, uh, analog and digital recording equipment and uh, uh, and all those sorts of things, but we didn't we did we didn't try and buy uh, the full suite of uh, you know ABC level um, studio facilities uh, to start with. We started small and we built out. Um, and the third area is, as I've said a couple of times. You know, whatever it is you're doing, reputation is everything. One of the things that uh, I've always found is not to accept jobs that you can't do, no matter how exciting they might be and how it might be very gratifying to be asked. If you feel that you can't do it, uh, it's not worth the risk to your reputation by taking it on. That's exactly right. Well, John, thanks for being a part of the program. It's been great to hear about, uh, about your business. And, uh, you know, good luck with the future. Thanks, Vaughan. It's been uh, great to be part of the series. And, uh, you know, for those who are listening who uh, are uh, thinking about the challenges, uh, I encourage you to do so, but I encourage you to sit down and do the groundwork first. And that's all we have in this week's episode. 
An Eye for Business is a podcast series very closely linked with the Entrepreneurial Mindset webinar series. If you'd like to know more about the podcast or that webinar series, contact Blind Citizens Australia on 1800 033 660 1800 033 660 or email bca at bca.org.au. Of course, the Entrepreneurial Mindset webinar series is part of the Eye to the Future project, which has been run by Blind Citizens Australia for some time now. Check the BCA website for more information. I'm Vaughan Benison. I'll join you again next week. You have been listening to An Eye for Business, exploring the entrepreneurial mindset of people who are blind or vision impaired. This is a series of programs brought to you in partnership between Blind Citizens Australia and Vision Australia. Join us again next week.